0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dividend Kings Roundtable podcast. This is Nicholas Ward speaking, and with me this week, I have two Dividend Kings co-founders, Brad Thomas and Adam Gallus, as well as Justin Law is joining us this week as well. He uh, manages uh, the Dividend Champions list uh, for those who uh, enjoy that uh, service that we offer. This week, we, we will be discussing pandemic-proof blue chips uh, we have seen kind of news uh, in recently with regard to rising caseloads. Uh, there is fear in the market sort of surrounding uh, COVID 19 and, and sort of what the potential of it is as we move into the winter, which is traditionally the flu season. But uh, we do all, always at Dividend Kings, our job is kind of to cut through the noise to sort of ignore the the fear and the short-term sentiment in the market and to focus on uh, fundamentals instead as we look for great deals in the market. And that is what we'll be highlighting today, stocks that we think uh, you know will do well or could do well in the uh, event that there is a, uh, you know, the pandemic lasts uh, longer than we think. So with regard to the pandemic-related data, I do want to pass over to Adam Gallus. He is sort of our uh, you know, data-driven guru. And I know he's, uh, you know, he has a COVID tracker that he provides Dividend Kings members. And, uh, you know, I look forward to hearing what he has to say with regard to uh, the, you know, the sort of blue chip analyst projections regarding this pandemic moving forward.
1: Thanks, Nick. So, of course, the, you know, uh, health experts have been warning all year that a uh, second wave in the fall or winter was likely. Uh, for the U.S., it, it, it basically more of a third wave caused by people going indoors where the virus spreads more easily. Currently, it does appear that that is now occurring pretty much as expected. So I've got the latest projections here from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation from the University of Washington. They're basically saying that uh, through the end of the year, infections uh, are expected to rise to about 316,000 infections per day, slightly above the 282,000 we saw back in April. Uh, In terms of daily deaths, thanks to better medical uh, care, uh, doctors know how to treat this better. Uh, peak deaths are about expected to basically match that of uh, uh, back in April around 2,400. Now the major concern of course, for investors and uh, is basically how is this going to affect the economy? The IHME expects social mobility to basically fall to near April levels about 6% higher, negative 46% relative to the baseline. Now, they do expect around 20 states to lock down. Uh, again, uh, New York City is, uh, of course, uh, trying to lock down Queens and, and the Bronx. Uh, there's some you know, fights between Mayor uh, Dalio and uh, Governor Cuomo about who has authority over that. Uh, now, the good news, at least from the perspective of the economy, is that we're likely not going to see full lockdowns like in April, simply because... Uh, it would require massive stimulus to prevent uh Uh, Catastrophic economic damage. And of course, right now we have stimulus gridlock that's not expected to end until a new Congress comes in in February. Uh, But that does mean that there's, according to JP Morgan, 80% of economists and most US CEOs, there's a 20 to 25% probability of a mild double dip recession in the next few months. And of course, the goal uh, of Dividend Kings is to help you find the best quality blue chips that, uh, regardless of what's happening with the pandemic, the economy, or the broader stock market. So our goal here is to highlight four or five companies that we believe will be able to sustain generous, safe, and steadily growing dividends, including in this pandemic, which appears to uh, uh, in this pandemic second wave, which is looking like a higher and higher probability event.
0: Uh, Thanks for that data, Adam. Uh, You know, that is some sombering news. And obviously, uh, you know, our our hearts and prayers go out to anybody suffering with this disease, but we are a uh, investment service here. So we will be focusing on the markets. And uh, with that in mind, I do want to pass to Justin Law. I know that he had a couple of names uh, that he wanted to highlight that he believes can do well, uh, you know, moving forward, sort of regardless of the, uh, the macro environment.
2: Thanks, Nick and usually as we talk about defensive names the first thing that comes to mind are utilities um, but generally i think that utilities at this point are mostly overvalued i know one of the investor favorites is next year energy um, but that's currently trading at something like 32 times earnings and it's only expected to grow about eight percent per year so that's a bit too rich for my taste um, i think in general most utilities are a bit on the overvalued side and that could be a product of low interest rates um, but I think maybe one of the names that might be worth looking into is Spire, and they're a gas utility in uh, Missouri, Alabama, and Missouri. Um, I think probably what are better values at this point are defense contractors, and so these are names that generally have large uh, government-backed contracts that have backlogs of generally over two or three years worth of work for them to towel uh, through. So they have. Pretty good visibility as far as revenues and earnings for at least the foreseeable future. And in this space, I generally like uh, Lockheed Martin as the highest quality name. Uh, for a higher growth name, you could possibly also look at uh, L3 Harris. And then finally, I just want to kind of briefly touch on uh, CVS. And this is kind of questionable as far as its leadership status, um, but it's definitely one of the companies that's literally on the front lines of addressing the pandemic. Um, it's, responsible for, it's responsible for about 70% of the retail testing for COVID right now. And it's also in uh, negotiations for deploying the vaccine when, when it comes out. Uh, since March, it's added about 76,000 jobs and it's still looking for another 15,000 jobs uh, to address the needs coming up in the fall and the winter. Uh, EPS has been growing for basically almost 20 years. It has, hasn't ever dropped since 2001. And it's dividend payout is definitely very reasonable at 28%. Um, obviously, there's a bear case for CVS. Um, it's a bit over leveraged at this point, uh, since it uh, purchased Aetna a couple of years ago. Um, but it's making good progress in paying down debt. And they probably take another one or two years before it reaches tar- its target leverage. Um, and definitely also, there's also the the secular trends of online competition for pharmacy services, um, as well as a question of whether healthcare legislation is going to change. And I know Nick, Nick you probably talked about or CVS. or wrote about it in a couple articles a few months ago. And just want to get your opinion on that and see whether you think it's still worth looking to as far as a deep value pick or whether it's a bit too risky for your tastes.
0: Yeah, CBS is an interesting pick. I actually, I will touch upon, I th- We Adam and I talked about uh, defense contractors a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, we were kind of highlighting, um, you know, what so, some of the sort of irrational fear in the market uh, with regard to politics. So I, I do like uh, your pick there, as Adam mentioned, Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, it's even in the event of a, you know, blue wave, if that does happen in the upcoming election, I think at Dividend Kings, we don't really expect to see defense spending fall. So I do uh, like your idea of sort of taking advantage on some of the weakness uh, in that space. With regard to CBS, uh, you know, the company is uh, an interesting deep value play, in my opinion, Uh, as you said, it has generated reliable growth on the bottom line, uh, you know, my issue with CBS is kind of twofold. Uh, first of all, uh, due to the leverage and due to its, uh, you know, recent m a activity, the company is no longer growing its dividend, uh, you know, and, and as for me, uh, you know, I'm always looking for reliable dividend growth year in and year out. So uh, that's why I've avoided it. But I do think uh, you're right. It does offer some interesting, uh, you know, potential with its uh, attempt to sort of restructure itself, uh, you know, with a... Uh, you know, multi-level healthcare slash retail slash PBM, uh, you know, mindset. and uh, it will be interesting to see if the company can sort of, uh, you know, almost sort of determine the future of healthcare uh, as we attempt to become more efficient. And uh, I actually, I think this is a good segue to pass over to Brad Thomas, our our, low, our uh, sort of retail and uh, real estate expert. Brad, you know, one of the issues I have with CVS is obviously the e-commerce threat. That's a secular threat that sort of exists outside of the pandemic, uh, you know, kind of profile that we're talking about today. But I don't know if you have any uh, comments on CVS specifically, but I do imagine you have uh, some insights with regard, uh, you know, to uh, real estate and, uh, you know, how the pandemic is or is not being affected, uh, you know, within certain sectors there.
3: Yeah, thank you, and uh, nice to be on the podcast again today, and also good to hear from Justin as well, who's hopefully he'll become more of a regular with us. Um, I know the topic today is blue chips, and I've, I mentioned this in a previous podcast or two. I'm in the process of writing a new book uh, I've, uh, in tribute to my very good friend, Ralph Block, who passed away about three years ago. Ralph wrote a book called Investing in Reach, which we're using as a template or a blueprint for our new book. And in Ralph's book, the latest edition of Investing in REITs, I want to read you his, uh, his comments on the virtues of blue-chip REITs. There is no objective or commonly accepted definition of blue-chip REITs, so you will have to accept mine until you develop your own. Blue-chip REITs are, like all REITs, subject to the ups and downs of their sector cycles, but should, over reasonably long time periods, deliver consistent, rising, long-term growth in FFO, dividends, and asset value. Because they're financially strong and widely respected, they will, in most periods, have access to the additional equity and debt capital that can fuel above-average growth. They will rarely provide the highest dividend yields or even, in many years, the best total returns, nor can we frequently buy them at bargain prices, but... They should provide years of 7 to 8% total returns on average with very modest risk." So that is Ralph Flock's definition of a, blue, of, of a blue chip, and I think he frankly just nailed it. Um, so and, and the topic of blue chips, um, you know, we're seeing in, the, in various sectors, especially in the technology, you know, technology trades, which I'm talking about cell towers and data, data centers and logistics. So Ralph's absolutely right. We can't find really bargains in data centers. Digital Realty's dividend yield is 2.9%. We can't really see value in the cell tower business. American Towers dividend yield is 1.8%. We can't really see value in Prologis, which is the largest industrial REIT that yields 2.3%. But where we can find value and common ground in the REIT space today, and I'm sure if any of you are gonna guess what I'm gonna be uh, talking about next, I bet every one of you are right. Um, is Realty Income. Realty Income is trading just below $60, actually $59.68 per share currently. 4.7% yield. Not a great yield, but certainly a very good deep yield in this market. Uh, realty Income, of course, has the A- balance sheet. and analysts forecast growth of 3%, very modest growth, 3% in 21 and 3% in 22. Now, let me touch on this real quickly. I want to. Uh, we just recently upgraded Agri Realty from a hold to a buy. Now you may look at Agri and think, "Wow, that's a that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty low yield." Uh, well, the thing about it is, when you look at Agri, and we talked about this on the iReit platform, if you look at Agri and Realty Income compared to the broader equity universe and the the price to uh, earnings or price to funds from operation or AFFO metrics compared to the, the entire equity universe, uh, agree and realty income aren't really that expensive. And we think at a, at a 4.7% yield in this environment, when this company meets all of the metrics of a blue chip, we think there's value there today. So again, that's my pick today. I'm gonna go with a proven winner who has time, year in and year out, been able to uh, deliver to shareholders. And uh, that, that has to be my pick for, for today on the blue chip
0: call. Uh, thanks, Brad. Yeah, I think uh, you know, and nobody's going to argue with you, uh, you know, picking realty income. I think anybody familiar with dividend growth investing is uh, well aware of that name. Uh, really quickly, can you highlight the difference in valuation between realty income and AGREE? Uh, AGREE is not a name that I follow uh, nearly as closely as you know, ticker symbol O, and I'm sure that may be the case for many of our uh, listeners as well.
3: Absolutely. So uh, again, I'm using fast graphs for those of you who don't know, uh, and hopefully you're using that. Uh, we've got uh, price to adjusted funds from operation for estate income at 17.4 times. And agree, I'm sure much higher, but I'm going to give you that in just a second. Uh, roughly is probably in the 18, 19 is my guess. Uh, 20, 20 times, um, uh, almost 21. And again, when you compare that to kind of the average multiple uh, on the um, entire equity reach spectrum. I don't know what it is on an AFFO basis. I know on an FFO, it was in the 20, I think 22 range. So roughly about 200 basis points below the average multiple of the, uh, of the equity reach space. So, and, and what's really telling in that lease is the, the fact that it, agrees already come out with an upgraded, uh, uh, upgraded their uh, acquisition guidance. We haven't seen realty income, but I will guarantee you the, you're going to see a very strong quarter in the third and fourth quarter on acquisitions, especially for these premium net lease REITs. And I believe there's going to be M&A. We, don't, we never use M&A for catalyst purposes, but there, there are so many net lease uh, REITs now we're covering. It's, uh, it's really getting me dizzy, uh, the number of new companies that we cover now. So I think you'll probably see some M&A activity in that space too. But this is just the most, look, there's three companies, a realty income, WP Carry and NNN, which three out of the now 11 companies that made it through uh, now two recessions and a pandemic and increased their dividends. There aren't many REITs, let alone companies that have been able to do that.
0: Thanks, Brad. Yeah, so actually agree is more expensive than realty income. I was uh, surprised to see that. I just assumed that uh, you know uh, the monthly dividend company realty income would be trading at a premium. So I do like your pick there. I think I would probably choose O uh, myself as well. Uh, I have been buying a lot of REITs uh, recently in my personal portfolio. Kind of I do believe that this is a sector that's been left behind, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic period. You know, I don't sort of agree that a lot of the, uh, you know, with so, some of the bears that think some of these secular headwinds are going to persist uh, essentially indefinitely. And another sector that I think has kind of been left behind in recent weeks or months as well has been the healthcare sector. I'm seeing uh, quite a bit of value there and uh, you know as we were preparing for this podcast, Adam mentioned that he wanted to uh, cover a healthcare name. So let's go ahead and pivot from real estate uh, to healthcare as we look for uh, you know blue chip value.
1: Thanks, Nick. So the name I wanted to highlight today, very briefly, is Merck, the forty nine billion dollar global behemoth uh, in healthcare that uh, is currently uh, double A minus rated, and I'll show. Uh, uh, let uh, S and P summarize it. The A-minus AA- rating reflects Merck's significant scale, strong market position, and diverse portfolio of high-margin high pharmaceuticals. The company's drug portfolio is headlined by oncology blockbuster Keytruda, more than $11 billion in annual sales and increasing, and supported by diabetes treatments Genuvia and Janumet, as well as vaccine franchises and the animal health business. So this is basically the quintessential recession resistant business, then to give you an idea of just how well they've held up in this pandemic. Uh- Analysts are currently expecting about 10% growth this year in a year when the S&P 500 is expected to report negative 18% growth. In 2021, 10%. In 2022, another 10%. And then a lower 3% growth year in 2023 due to some patent cliffs. But the overall long-term consensus from facts said it's 9.5%. They are the king of global oncology drugs. And as S&P said, very strong in vaccines and animal health, extremely well diversified. In 2020, in the last few months, their earnings expectations have actually gone up significantly, about 4% in the last three months, despite all the uh, downsides of the second wave in the pandemic that we've seen. Now, of course, the downside uh, in terms of uh, risk to consider is uh, they are spinning off some of their branded drugs, which S&P considers a ne- uh, ne- uh, credit negative. S&P does plan to d- uh, potentially downgrade them from AA minus to uh, A plus because management says they want to maintain leverage between 1.5 and 2. But of course, that is still a very strong credit rating, uh, A plus basically uh, indicating about 0.6% long-term bankruptcy risk. So Merck basically offering a relatively generous 3.1% yield management plans to uh, pay out 45% or so of earnings over time. Analysts expect a very steady growth in the dividends in the next two years as the dividend streak of nine years hits 11 years. Currently, it's about 24% undervalued, trading at around 12 and a half times next year's earnings compared to about 15 and a half historically. Analysts expect around a 47% return potential over the next two years, but if it grows as expected through 2025, that nine and a half percent, then we're looking around 100% potential upside over the next five years, 14.2% annualized and around 11% on a risk adjusted expected return. And for context, that's around three and a half times what the, or four times what the S&P 500 is expected to give you. And so if you're looking for a very safe recession resistant dividend of 3% with a very solid growth, that's about one percent uh one to three percent faster than the s p 500 is expected to deliver at a reasonable price merck is a wonderful pandemic proof uh, swan quality company in fact in a 97 percent a uh, a excellent potential investment idea
0: thanks adam uh, you yeah, know i'm looking at the fast graphs of merck as you were giving your talk and it uh, it does uh, definitely look attractive to me anytime you see a company's uh, kind of share price move lower as they're underlying fundamentals move higher, you have to, you know, assume there's a disconnect somewhere. I'm wondering, you mentioned the the spinoff of the, uh, the legacy drug portfolio. Um, I'm not, Merck is not a name I cover closely. It's not, it's one of the kind of few healthcare names, uh, the blue chip names that I don't own due to a, uh, you know, somewhat disappointing dividend growth history. I will note that the company's most recent dividend increase was attractive, and uh, you know, moving forward, if if they stay on that route, this is a company I would like to own. So, Adam, can you talk? Will that spinoff affect the dividend of the current uh, company at all?
1: Oh no, it's not expected to. Uh, now, it, the legacy brands, women's health products, and the biosimilar business, it does represent around six billion dollars a year in revenue. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be basically a hit, but. Uh, the dividend is expected to keep growing. Basically, uh, uh, looks around a four percent growth next year, and then a, a slightly faster five to six percent in 2022. Uh, the payout ratio for this year alone is currently 43 percent. It's expected to drop to 41 percent simply because they're, they're growing at uh, ex- such an extremely strong rate due to that oncology business from Ktruda. So the dividend looks safe, and you know, as S&P says, it is a credit uh, negative, but. I mean, this company basically, it's, uh, you know, uh, just like all the strong blue chips, they had such a, a safety buffer coming into this recession that even when there's uh, basically a modest hit to, to revenue and cash flow, they're basically, you know, analysts are factoring uh, that spinoff in and saying still looking at 10% growth over the next three years with a dividend basically that will eventually grow in line with expectations based on that management long-term payout ratio of 45%. So analysts expecting around nine to 10% long-term dividend growth from Merck.
0: Uh, thanks. Yeah, that, uh, that's nice to hear. I, obviously, um, you know, we all are looking for both dividend yield and dividend growth, and it does appear that Merck uh, you know, can offer both. I guess sticking in the healthcare space, I'll wrap up this week's podcast highlighting a few more uh, names that I was interested in. I've talked about Bristol-Myers Squibb uh, you know, quite a bit over the last uh, year or so. To me, you know, I think this company is quite undervalued You know, it's trading for just eight times uh, 2021 expected earnings. And, uh, you know, this is a company that's growing earnings. uh, You know, it's uh, 32% in 2018, 18% in 2019, 34% expected this year in 2020, and then another 19% next year in 2021. So, you know, it's amazing to me that a company posting that sort of, you know, just stellar bottom line growth is trading with a single digit. Uh, forward multiple. There's obviously always going to be some sort of patent cliff concerns uh, in the healthcare space. However, uh, you know, I think those risks are more than priced in here when it comes to Bristol Myers. Uh, This is a company that yields exactly 3% uh, right now as I'm looking at it. And uh, the most recent dividend increase was roughly 10%. uh, Obviously, with 34% EPS growth uh, in 2020, I think it's safe to say that we can expect a, uh, you know, possibly another double digit uh, increase next year as well, and then the other, the other, uh, there's two other names I want to highlight quickly here. We're talking about cheap uh, healthcare names. Obviously, AbbVie comes to mind. I think this is a stock that both Adam and I have both uh, sort of highlighted as a deep value pick recently. Uh, AbbVie is trading for less than eight times uh, forward earnings, uh, and this is a company that yields 5.7% right now. Uh, with regard to the patent cliff headwinds. Uh, This is a big one. Uh, AbbVie owns Humira, which is the world's largest drug in terms of sales, and that will be coming off patent in 2023. So that is a pretty big, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, hurdle for management to clear here. But uh, like I said, with a, uh, you know, 7.5 times forward PDE ratio, I have to assume that the market is kind of more than pricing in uh, that risk. And I'm very, very pleased to continue to accumulate AbbVie here uh, in the low $80 level. Uh, you know, locking in that 5.7% yield and, uh, you know, just uh, collecting that over time as I wait to see how this Humira situation plays off. And lastly, a company that I'm sure uh, everybody here has heard of. And, you know, if I had to guess, I would say everybody on this call probably owns some shares. Uh, And we're talking about Johnson & Johnson. This is just, uh, you know, one of the most high quality dividend growth names uh, in the entire uh, market, in the entire world. It's one of only two Triple uh, A rated companies, alongside Microsoft, and uh, so generally speaking, this is a name that does sort of trade at a premium. It is much more expensive than uh, all the other healthcare names that we've talked about today. Currently, Johnson Johnson's trading for 17.7 times earnings. Uh, so, like we said, uh, well above uh, AV, Bristol Myers, and Merck. However, uh, you know when you're paying for, you get what you pay for when it comes to that balance sheet. When it comes to reliable earnings growth and a reliable uh, dividend yield. The company's long term, uh, you know, 20 year average P/E ratio is 17.7 times. So the company has, uh, you know, experienced some weakness recently trading down from 155 kind of to the 145 level. And, uh, you know, that slight dip has moved the stock back down to uh, a- an area that's in line with the long term average. So anytime I, th- I think you have the opportunity to buy a uh, wonderful company at a fair price, it usually ends up, you know, kind of generating solid returns over the long term. And uh, I think Johnson & Johnson offers investors the opportunity to do that right now. So uh, that is what the companies I was gonna talk about. I don't know if anybody on the on the line here has anything to say about these three companies. Uh, so I'll kind of open that up here for a second. But if not, uh, we'll, that's how we'll close it today. So is anybody uh, have an opinion on these three healthcare picks or uh, any of the other picks that we discussed? Yes, today?
1: in terms of in terms of AbbVie, I would point out they do announce earnings next Friday. Uh, a dividend hike of about ten percent is expected by analysts uh, over the next few weeks, potentially uh, on during the earnings release. And historically, AbbVie has uh, in most of its quarters management has beaten and raised its own guidance. And 92% of the quarters in the last four years, they've beaten expectations. So, AbbVie trading in close to seven times next year's consensus estimates. It's an anti-bubble stock. One we bought this week for the Phoenix portfolio, and I bought myself, as well as uh, set 15 limits. It's one of my highest conviction ideas. And we're planning to buy it next week again ahead of earnings because consistently, the management team is just so good at execution that you know they're almost certainly going to prove our facts and reasoning right. And likely uh, provide another strong beat next time, uh, basically, you know, uh, just over a week's time.
0: Uh, thanks, Adam. That's definitely, uh, you know, a catalyst that we all need to be prepared for. Uh, you know, like you said, I do also expect a low double-digit dividend increase. And, uh, you know, considering that we're talking about a stock yielding 5.7%, uh, that is in a very unique and, uh, you know, just frankly put amazing combination of high yield and high dividend growth growth. Uh, prospects. So I think, you know, we're kind of like we said, this has been the pandemic uh, podcast. And that's obviously kind of a sad subject to tackle. But you know, I think ending with a, uh, you know, nearly 6% dividend yield with 10% dividend growth prospects that can kind of put a smile on any investors face. And so we'll go ahead and end it uh, on that high note. So guys, thanks for stopping by. Uh, As always, we appreciate you and uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, more discussions with you all next week. Thank you. Bye.